Hello and welcome to another episode of Modern Musicology. I'm Anthony and as usual I'm here with my co-hosts Alan. Hello Alan. How's it going? And Rob. Hi Rob. Hello. And this week we are going to be talking about one of the most flamboyant movements in pop music, the phenomenon that was glam rock. Rejecting the revolutionary rhetoric of the late 1960s, glam responded with flamboyance, decadence and superficiality. This is the scene that started with the Mark Bolan fronted T-Rex, included legendary acts such as Roxy Music, Susie Quattro, Sweet and Slade. And most notably, it's the scene that sent an already successful David Bowie into the absolute stratosphere. So stay tuned as we will be ambling our way through the highs and lows of the genre. But first, we're going to do a little bit of a roundtable and talk about what we've all been listening to in the last week. Alan, let's start with you. My listening this week has been kind of retro. Um, so about a month ago, I guess it was, uh, Anthony and I did a show. Uh, Rob was out of town, so Anthony and I did a show on uh, two metal album anniversaries, uh, Iron Maiden and Wasp. And um, in that discussion, we got on a little sidetrack about uh, producer Martin Birch. And uh, so a week or so ago, I sort of extracted that segment, the Martin Birch segment, to do a put together like a show for our YouTube channel. And uh, we talked about Blue Oyster Cult in that segment. And ever since then, I have been on this serious Blue Oyster Cult kick. I haven't listened to them in quite a while. But so and I just got the just the urge to dig them back out and put them back in heavy rotation. And oh, my gosh, I just have enjoyed so much revisiting those classic albums and and some of the newer ones that i really haven't spent that much time with yet um you know just really digging back into that catalog and just okay most of it is great some of it is just fucking weird but <laughs> I, i've enjoyed exploring all of it again because they're they're one of those bands that i've always liked but i've never really you know loved so i sort of cycle around on them every few years or so and so this this brought the cycle background and and i've really enjoyed digging back into him nice anything else or is it mostly just been that's the cult well other than that i've been listening to a lot of glam to get ready for tonight's show yeah <laughs> rob how about you <sighs> so uh i should preface this by saying i listen to like 30 to 50 things a week uh for the show mm -hmm. um out of necessity so sorry um, I do want to talk about a thing called Under the Bridge. It's out on Skepwax Records. And basically, it's a bunch of bands from the uh, this label, uh, this Bristol label called Sarah Records. It was really big in the 90s. And basically, a bunch of the bands that were on Sarah Records have made new songs now. So it's like they used to be doing a thing, then they stopped, and now they're back. And surprisingly, unlike a lot of these, which are money grabs, this is all pretty interesting stuff. Um, the Orchids are on a catenary wires. Um, even as we speak, the wake, this really great band called the wake is on it. Um, so I like that. Um, been listening to the new sea power record also known as British sea power. Uh, everything is forever. Uh, there's a band from Austin called blushing that sounded like a little bit like ride or, um, or lush. Uh, they have a record called possessions. Um, and then uh, a band from Oakland with the coolest band name of the week, kids on a crime spree. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Fall in love, not in line. They're just they're just a hoot. They're great. San Francisco and Oakland have this like whole great scene going on right now. Um, 
And then um, I hate to say that part of the reason I'm listening to this is, is in light of, of, the, of the world, but uh, I've been listening to the Ukrainians a lot, which is uh, Philip Salakwa, formerly of The Wedding Present. And uh, he had a, a side project called The Ukrainians where they play a bunch of Ukrainian songs, but they covered, did an entire EP of Smith's covers called Pizmi the Smiths. And the cover <laughs> of Big Mouth Strikes Again in Ukrainian is, is most excellent. Nice. And then uh, I'll, I'll finish with Wolfgang Floor, formerly of um, Kraftwerk mm-hmm. and magazine number one. It's got Peter Hook on it. It's got Midjur on it. It also has uh, Claudia Bruken from Propaganda on it. And um, it sounds like old Kraftwerk, but with kind of a modern twist on it. So Nice. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of, this is a great time for new music. There's just so much out. It's obnoxious. It is. And that kind of leads into what I've been listening to. So it only came out on Friday and I've only really had a chance to listen through it once or twice. But Marillion just dropped their new album an hour before it's dark. Uh, First impressions, I like it. It's probably not as strong as their previous album, Gold. But the opening suite, Be Hard on Yourself, which is a three-part track, is phenomenal. Uh, likewise, a couple of other bands I really, really enjoy have dropped new tracks this week, um, been getting a lot of airtime, and that is Ghost with their new track, Twenties, which I've been finding a little bit disappointing, but it might mm-hmm. be a grower. Not and a then... shower. E- exactly. <laughs> and then the other one, there's this great British band that do the whole psychedelic rock thing, but they present themselves as a cult called church of the cosmic skull and they just released a new track called one more step that is phenomenal wow um it's that they're very heavy into like the early 70s sound so there's a lot of hammond organ they have um lots of multi-part harmonies they've got i think three vocalists they're really really interesting and Hmm. fun um and then couple of other bands uh, I've been listening to. One is Ignea, who are a Ukrainian melodic death metal band. Um, The global situation has kind of left me listening to them a lot and thinking if I listen to them heavily on repeat, they'll get like two cents from every listen and and that might help them in this this time. (laughs) And then also still on heavy rotation for me is Bloody Wood, the Indian heavy metal band that are a lot of fun. So that's really where I've been at. And then, of course, a ton of glam, which we will get into as we start our discussion. You know, I, I didn't mention it when you asked, but I've been listening to the new Marillion also. I didn't know if you were going to bring them up or not. So, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll do a, a, a good review on it at some point. But I've been listening to it, too, and I've really enjoyed it. And I've got some stuff to say about it when we're Ooh. comes time to review <laughs> yeah the pixies dropped a new track this week too and it's not as horrible as i was expecting <laughs> no no you just it's just you never know when these bands are gone for a while and then the last record was kind of yeah this is much more yeah so maybe alan we can talk marillion next week or the week yeah. after sounds good i also discovered this new kid this week uh his name is he goes under the name windsor he used to yep. be in some band. I don't even know what band he was in and the band dissolved. So he's been doing his own thing. And as far as I can see, he's only released a few singles, but um, so it's sort of that like modern pop kind of alt sort of thing and super catchy. I mean, just an incredible sense of melody and I am really loving his stuff. It's not a, 
whole lot to listen to. It's only like four singles so far. So it's not something that's yeah. taken up a lot of my listening time. But um, once I heard it, I was like, I've got to hear more of this stuff. So I've been really enjoying him a lot. And it's Windsor, since it's not from England, it's Windsor with an E-R instead of an O-R. Yeah. It's named after the street he grew up on. I How like dare the, they? I like the track called <laughs> Memory. That's the big thing. I've yeah, heard. that's a great song. Yeah. That's the newest one that just came out. I'm Is it a Lloyd Webber cover? No. No. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't. Thank resist. goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Should we get into some glam? Glam. I figured we would really start with our own personal glam stories and how we each first really encountered the genre and became interested in it. So, Rob, do you want to start us off? I first heard a lot of it through just osmosis of being young and having my brother played T-Rex in the house, um, which of course led to Ziggy. The three things I remember hearing pretty instantly early were T-Rex and Bowie and Roxy Music. Mm -hmm. um, although I didn't really appreciate Roxy Music till later as much. T-Rex though, you know, I was, you know, between six and eight years old. I just remember it was boppy and kind of, you know, I had no idea what the hell it was, but I remember hearing T-Rex and just I remember the guitars and I remember the the really snappy percussion and the the you know the little Richard like piano. Um, I remember hearing that early and in, in high school, obviously, I gravitated towards you know the Bowie and the Ziggy Stardust. And then I had a um, English teacher that says, "So you like the punk rock?" And I'm like, "Yes." Yeah. So they handed me a New York Dolls cassette, <laughs> and um, that was pretty great. And then um, this is so embarrassing that Anthony's going to kick me out of the cool school. Well, I remember when the Doctor and the Medics single came out, the cover of Spirit of the Sky. Mm. Um, he's like, have you heard the suite? And I'm like, no. He's like, um, okay, well, here you go. Here, there'll be a lesson on that. And then have you heard Slade? Uh, and I said, well, I heard the one, you know, that was when Run Runaway was big. He goes, no, 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 no. And they handed me, you know. So I kind of got into it sort of back-ended that way. And then um, I loved the Velvet Underground, but it sort of took me a while to come back to Lou Reed as a solo artist. I, I got, you know, high school was pretty much the the Velvets and college was kind of the Lou Reed. But yeah, that, that, that's kind of the uh, the oral history of uh, <laughs> my involvement with that. Alan, how about you? Um, well, for me, uh, you know, I was... I grew up in the 70s and I started listening to pop radio 74-ish, 75-ish. So right at the time that this stuff was really happening. So I heard a lot of this stuff on the radio, but didn't realize there was a movement called glam. And so I remember uh, the probably the first one that I ever heard was Sweet because they had a, a whole series of big hits in America. And I remember so clearly how much I loved Fox on the run. It's such a stupid song, but I, you know, I was a kid and I absolutely loved it. And they had a, they had a bunch of other ones that I remember from the radio. And I also remember hearing some Slade. Um, but for me, everything really starts with kiss. At mm. that point, I was really just a casual radio listener. I was becoming more and more interested in what was happening on the radio and what these groups were about other than just the songs that I was hearing on the radio, but it wasn't until really until um, I got my first kiss album as a birthday present for whatever reason, I don't even know because I never ever expressed any interest in wanting a kiss album. But the, the more I started listening to it, you know, and 
we're going to have to talk about a definition of glam tonight because mm-hmm. does kiss count? I don't know. Um, but they were certainly influenced by what was going on and they were part of the visual of glam, I guess. Um, and so for me, you know, I guess it was really kiss that landed me. And then I kind of remembered all that other stuff that I had heard on the radio in my growing up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, growing up as a British kid in the nineties, my first true exposure was through the, the trifecta of Christmas songs that came out of the glam (laughs) movement being Slade's Merry Christmas, everybody wizards. I wish it could be Christmas every day and muds lonely this Christmas. And then of course, T-Rex did a Christmas track as well. Christmas pop, but that's not nearly as popular. (laughs) And then from there, you know, my mother was, and sorry, Rob, but my mother turned 13 the year that uh, T-Rex's first glam album, Electric Warrior came out. Yeah. So a lot of it was what she grew up with, particularly what yeah. I think of as that like first wave of glam from about yeah. 71 to 75. Yeah. Um, so again, T-Rex, Bowie, Roxy, Slade, Sweet, et cetera, et cetera. And I've mentioned it before, the the infamous compilation CDs and cassettes that we had for long car journeys. So I got a fair amount of glam exposure through that. My, my dad was the 60s listener. My mom was the 70s. Um, So I remember hearing Bowie songs and a little bit of T-Rex and and what have you on those. It's interesting. I mean, I know we're going to be talking about Bowie in this show because how can you not? But, you know, uh, being a a young American, as it were, um, (laughs) when I was like, I don't remember how old I was in 75, but the first real Bowie song that I heard was Fame, which is after the point where he'd kind of, you know, walked away from the glam thing. He yeah. was kind of, he had already moved on to his next phase. So, you know, I didn't really think of Bowie in those terms for a while. Cause it was, I don't remember when it was that I actually got into the Ziggy era, mm-hmm. but it wasn't right away. It was, it was uh, fame. And then in 76, it was golden years. And then from there, you know, I sort of worked backwards, but yeah. So Bowie yeah. wasn't a glam artist when I met Bowie. Yeah. Right. So, Alan, you already mentioned it, but we should probably try and define glam somehow. And I tend to think of it as being initially the original glam movement. It's really the intersection for me of music with art and fashion, all woven in with some level of decadence and Mm -hmm. really stripping music back. Glam rock, you know... I guess in the late 60s, pop music had become increasingly complex as the Beatles and the Stones, you know, played around in their psychedelic era where we got stuff like Sgt. Pepper and the White Album and their Satanic Majesties. And glam kind of strips all of that away. And all of that progression that you've got is kind of removed and you're left with something a bit more accessible. And a bit more fun. A lot more fun. (laughs) A lot more fun. And... You know, I I think of the first glam album as being T-Rex's Electric Warrior. And I will always remember my mother talking about being 13 years old and just thinking about how sexy Mark Bolan was, which is not something I ever really want to hear my mother talk about. But, you know, (laughs) he had this charisma and allure to him, I guess, that kind of drew people in. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from there, everyone else just kind of followed. 
That's a great album, though. <laughs> it's funny because one of the one of the, sort of the key songs, the key Bolin T Rex songs, is Cosmic Dancer. I just can't stand it. Oh, it's so awful. But there's so much else on that album that's so good. Um, you know, you've got uh, the big one, Bang a Gong, which, you know, everybody knows that. And that's a great song. But like the opening track, uh, Mambo Sun, so good. Mm -hmm. Such a good album. So, Alan, you, you asked about Kiss, and I tend not to think about them as being part of that. First I agree. Wave. They're yeah. they're undoubtedly inspired, and I tend to them in in the same way I think of as as the New York Dolls. They're kind of not directly part of the scene and the movement, but they are related to it. Right. Agree. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, they started in '72. Their first album came out in '73, so you know there wasn't that much glam happening in America at that time. So. I'm not sure their their influence was like the Japanese kabuki thing and Alice Cooper, the theatricality that Alice Cooper was doing. So I'm not sure exactly how much there was some glam influence, definitely. But how much yeah. I, I don't really know. Um, and I definitely think of Alice Cooper as being part of the movement, actually. That's funny because I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I really we were... see schools out as being part of it. Yeah. You know? I mean, if you read the Simon Reynolds book, he is probably the first person in a while to advocate Alice Cooper being looped in. Mm -hmm. And I, I can see each end of the argument, you know, but I think I think the dolls, Susie Quattro, Lou Reed, mm -hmm. they're all kind of glam adjacent. I think that a lot of the American glam kind of followed on it and then kind of got the hybrid later. You know, that's that's yeah. it's really tricky because it's sort of it came over here and it sort of got repackaged and repurposed and retrofit, you know? Um, yeah. I think the largest difference is that the British glam seems very rooted in rock and roll of the fifties mm -hmm. and some rockabilly. And I think as it came back to America, it kind of lost that mm -hmm. to a certain extent, which is not mm -hmm. necessarily bad, but I right. think that's, that's kind of how I go with it. Does it have a boogie woogie piano in it or does it sound like it could? Right. It's glam. That's right. kind of my weird backdoor thing. Now, having said that, I still have no problem with putting Kiss in the category of it because clearly that glam cut such a wide swath yeah. uh, with what it did and who it influenced. Well, you could argue that Kiss may not be the music, the pure, you know, glam, mm -hmm. the complete aesthetic of it and the nuances and the presentation, the artwork, the fashion, that's all glam. So it, it's it's kind of like a lot of the American stuff has the attitude and the spirit of it, yeah. but then musically it's different, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. So let's talk about some of the legends of glam. We've already touched on T-Rex. We've obviously touched on Bowie, and I, I think of his glam years, and Alan, I know you're going to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're pretty widely seen as basically being Ziggy through to Diamond Dogs. Yeah, definitely Ziggy and Aladdin. And I think you can certainly make a case for it continuing into Diamond Dogs, even though I think he's sort of mentally moving beyond that at that point. Mm -hmm. He's not thinking in terms of his Ziggy character as much. And by the next album, you know, he's he's done. He's already moved yeah. on. So, yeah, definitely through Diamond Dogs. Yeah, And I, I think between those two artists, T-Rex and Bowie, they produced the two tracks that I consider to be the quintessential glam tracks. And that's Children of the Revolution from T-Rex. Oh, my God. I love that song. 
and the Gene Genie from Bowie. Yeah. Like just the groove on the Gene Genie and the way the guitar kind of chugs along. Yeah. 100% the spirit of glam for me. It's so interesting that Children of the Revolution has, has been covered so many times by so <laughs> many different kinds of bands. Uh, so I was kind of, as we were getting ready for the show tonight, I was kind of like looking through some of those just to see how many times it had been covered. And the Scorpions did it and a few other people, a bunch of like, you know, heavier acts did it. It got used in uh, Moulin Rouge, the, the musical. Mm -hmm. Kesha did a version of it. Yeah, that does not surprise I me. Was, I mean, and it's not but terrible. But if you look at Kesha, she is clearly very glam inspired. You look at the, very much. I mean, just the visuals of her. So that doesn't entirely surprise me to hear that. But she she's more true to it, it to its origin as sort of a heavy song. And it doesn't sound like some of the other stuff that she has done, like TikTok and the early hits. She's yeah. really she really keeps in the spirit of it. And I was very surprised by it. Yeah, she's she's really interesting to me because she took the aesthetics of glam, but then applied it to more synth pop inspired music. Yeah, um, but well, the other the other cover of it that is really interesting is Baby Ford, uh, who's a <laughs> DJ from Wigan, did a did an acid house cover of Children of the Revolution in the '90s. Without going into too much detail, I remember being at the Limelight uh, and hearing that, and it's like four thirty in the morning. I'm like is this a T-Rex song? <laughs> you know, in that state where you're sort of not awake and not asleep. Right. And that song is a huge part, or that cover is a huge part of the Acid House movement of, uh, of you know, that 89 to 92 sort of Acid House Hacienda scene. So it's interesting that Glam even got co-opted then, and you see a lot of it being ripped off and nicked in the rave scene in the early, mm. you know, with, with the flyers, the posters, and the art. And even to a certain extent, the clothes, you know, and you listen to things like, oh, this, this, some of it's cringeworthy, but you listen to things like S Express and you hear glam, elements of glam in that too. But that cover of Children of the Revolution by Keisha is also good, but it made me go back and think of the, the Baby Ford one, which is just like, it's trippy and it's weird and it's like nine minutes long and it's just, yeah, it's just, it's truly bizarre and strange and wonderful at the same time. So, Alan, I, I thought it was interesting that you mentioned that there are a bunch of heavy covers of it. And that doesn't yeah. surprise me because you can, without even listening to one, you can just imagine that guitar line with the distortion yeah. turned up to 11. Yeah. Going, right. Yeah. Very easy to do. It seems like it's a little too easy and a bit lazy, but, you know. <laughs> so, well, excuse the scorpions. <laughs> <laughs> We've touched on T-Rex, we've touched on Bowie, and I th that leaves us with what I think of, and Rob's already mentioned them, as the third elite tier glam band, and that's Roxy Music. Roxy Music, yeah. Who I fell in love with a few years ago. I think yeah. of their, their glam phase as really being from their first self-titled album through to Siren, and then... After that, they start heading off in that direction that eventually yields the soft rock monstrosity that's Avalon that I personally would rather not listen to. But <laughs> those early albums with Eno, they're, oh, yeah. Yeah. they're just so and, good. And even a couple of the Eno albums that aren't ambient kind of will fall into some of that. Yeah. Um, yeah the, and I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm reading Michael Bracewell's book on Roxy Music now, and it's sort of interesting that they changed a little bit of how the fashion of glam got perceived 
as they went on, which I think mm -hmm. is interesting. But, you know, the other thing, too, about Roxy Music is that Brian Ferry sang those records in a different sort of spirit than necessarily Bowie and Bolin and, and the others did. And I think that's that's kind of an interesting thing. It, it kind of got a little more soulful. You know, before it was definitely rock and blues influence, but the vocals were definitely sort of like sleaze rock kind of. But he yeah. kind of made it, he kind of brought a sophistication to it that I'm not sure a lot of people were expecting. I think that's, you, you kind of hit it. Bowie Bowie and T-Rex and, and Bolin, I guess, are a little bit sleazy. Brian Ferry mm. is, is almost seductive in yeah. the way he... Mm croons yeah. out those lines um mm -hmm. i've even heard on his latest solo albums his voice is being described as vampiric which you know, oh, think nice. of as incredibly sexy um but yeah the, and i think personally i've always thought if bowie hadn't blown up in the way he did that would have been brian ferry in his place mm. you know his style his voice his creativity i think he was 100% upstaged by Bowie and rightfully so. But if Bowie hadn't been around, I think we would today be talking about Brian Ferry in the same tones we talk about Bowie. You know, my exposure to uh, Roxy was very, very limited. So I didn't know much about them for the longest time. Uh, but when I was growing up, uh, Love is the Drug was a, well, okay, let me back up a little bit. I was thinking that it was, a big hit in America. So I was looking it up today and it only hit number 30 mm -hmm. on the billboard charts. So it's not that big a hit, but I remember it being played a lot. Like my impression of it is that I, I remember hearing it quite a bit. So maybe oh. it, my station was big on it, but I think you're right. Andy. that whole shadow of Bowie over mm -hmm. it. Um, certainly I think kept them back, but I also think too, that, you know, not being a solo artist because Roxy music was much more a band of, of egos and people in it doing different things than you necessarily had with with T-Rex or or, uh, or Bowie might have also had something to do with it because it was much more of a unit than it was a real easy like singular person to put on there because as, as much as you try you can't really say you know as Brian, Brian Ferry you don't think of him immediately as oh well, he's the voice of Roxy Music right in the same way you think of T-Rex you think of Bowen but like when you think of Mark Rex you know you think of Manazera you think of of Eno, and then you think of him, right? Uh, yeah. you... Well, I think the other thing there, Rob, is if you think about Bolin, he basically died before he could have a true solo career. Yeah. Bowie was always a solo artist. Yeah. And then Brian Ferry went on from Roxy Music and had an incredibly successful solo career on yeah. his own. Yeah. Which marks him out from the others in that way. But oh my God, the, those first three albums in particular for me, mm -hmm. I, I mean, they are just up there. For a while, Mother of Pearl off of Stranded was, mm -hmm. I'd say that was the soundtrack to my summer in maybe 2015. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Driving obnoxiously fast on the highway and with that <laughs> belting out the windows. You know, the thing I love too about Roxy Music is that I, long story short, is I I, uh, I did a couple DJ sets opening for Lady Tron um, when on, on their a tour here, and I actually played Lady Tron by, by Roxy Music in that, and people didn't know what it was. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, the band did, you know, but the people know, I was like, what is this? You know, and I think that Roxy Music is kind of the, 
and, and to a lesser extent, the Dolls are kind of the bands that people come back to. Like after they realize I like this kind of music, they kind of go back and they kind of discover them. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'm not really sure why it is that way, but it just kind of, kind of is, you know. I I discovered Roxy Music through watching Life on Mars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a couple of their songs were on the soundtrack, and I heard it and thought, "What the hell is this?" And pulled up the Shazam <laughs> app and. Roxy Music. I didn't know I liked Roxy Music. All right, I'll, I'll give them a bit more. <laughs> and I, and then you know, I, like, holy shit! <laughs> I, when I realized who Roxy Music was, I was like, oh, I've heard this, right? And like in, in the same way that like when I really got into got into Bowie, it was in the eighties when he was having his big wave of success. And then I went back. I'm like, wait a minute, these are the brother the, the records I heard growing up. And Roxy Music was kind of like that for me. It's like, oh wait a minute, I know who this is, right? Um, they're just the, their sense of timing and rhythm is just really incredible, and they've got so much texture going on for for a genre that's pretty stripped bare. They've got a lot of texture, which I think is really also interesting for the for the genre. Yeah, we've talked about the elite tier, as I'm calling them. Let's talk <laughs> about the next kind of tier down, which I think of as Slade, Sweet, Wizard, Mud. Any favorites there or any artists that either of you would like to add? Okay, so here's here's my interest. Well, it's not that interesting, but here's my story about this whole thing. I was uh, doing a deep dive this week to kind of get ready for recording this show. And I was uh, doing some, you know, reading some articles and looking through some playlists. And, you know, even if it's somebody like, uh, you know, Roxy Music that I might not know as much about, I certainly know who they are and I know where they stand in the movement and everything. I had never, ever heard of Mud. And yeah. I was like, what is that? So I started yeah. listening to them a little bit and I was like, this is so the first one that I heard was Tiger Feet. I have no fucking idea what that means. I love your tiger feet, but hey, it's a fun song. It's you know? a really fun song. <laughs> I mean, that would get me out on the dance floor. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my big discovery this week. I now know who Mud is. Yeah, me too. I'd never heard of them either. Wow. Um, and I'd gone back and sort of dug into Mata Hoople for the first time in like decades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I forgot, and I, I'm sure Anthony's got this on the docket, but with the record last year and, and this week, I've really dug deep into Susie Quattro mm-hmm. um, and Cheap Trick. Susie no. is one of those ones that I had in my kind of is it glam category because Which right. is, yeah. at times she's almost like proto-punk. Very much so. Yeah, and very I, much. I mean, I love it, and I... I would put her on my glam playlist, but would I consider her glam in the same way as Bowie or Slate? No, she's Maybe the next. Not. No, but she's the tier that's like the yeah. stepkids and stuff. Yeah. You know. Okay. So here's my, here's my Susie Quattro story. Growing Ooh. up when I did, the big show at the time was Happy, Happy Days, Days. And there was a character called Pinky Tuscadero. And uh, she was only on a few episodes like a season later, they introduced a new character, which was her sister called Leather, leather Tuscadero. And that was Susie Quattro. And she was like this, this leather rocker chick who like put together a band and it was called like Leather and the Suede's, I think it was. And so she was on like half a season or something. So that's where I, I know 
Susie Quattro from. Yep. And then she had a a hit in America, a duet with a guy. Let me see if I can remember the name of it. Yeah, it she was, started doing kind of easy listening stuff. And it just yeah, it was weird. called yeah, it was called Stumbling In, and it was very kind of ballady and sort of love duet kind of thing. And I was like, this is Susie Quattro. And so when you know later on when I've uh, heard some of her other stuff and some of the stuff that's considered to be more glam, I was like, okay, this makes more sense in with what I understand about Susie Quattro than uh, you know than stumbling in which was kind of a dreary dreary song but a decent hit for her i don't think she really had any other hit in america she did pretty well on the british charts no. yeah the the really big one in britain was can the can which is you know a real like foot stomper of a track right um, really really fun but yeah, right again i was listening to it earlier and i was like oh i can i can hear a lot of what the punk movement drew from in this um, yes and that song, you know, I, I was listening to that earlier today, and that song reminds me a little bit of what was happening with the Runaways. Yeah, you know, very much Absolutely. that sort of that sort of early angry chick kind of you know rock. And I think they were doing something that was so different from you know because mm -hmm. you had like the the, the bluesy soulful ones like uh, Janice, and then you had the the sort of mellow rock kind of chicks like. Uh, Stevie and Christine and Ann and Nancy, you know, who definitely could kick up their heels, but they weren't like the, the, the tough girls. And I really think that that song in particular and the stuff that the runaways were doing is the precursor for stuff like the pretenders mm -hmm. and Pat Benatar and stuff like that. So, yeah. and if you listen to Joan Jets, do you want to touch? Yes. That is like the closest thing to a glam record. I remember hearing in the eighties. You know, yeah, that's a, true. You know? Yeah. Yep. So I, th I think of Susie as one of those ones we mentioned as being kind of tangentially related, <laughs> yeah. inspired by, but not part of the core movement, which... And, is... and, she, and the same thing with like Cheap Trick or Motley Crue. You know, they're not right. necessarily part of the movement, but well, definitely inspired by. I wouldn't think of Cheap Trick that way at all. Now, Motley Crue, yes, they were sort of like that, that uh, the early steps in that 80s wave of glam where you get the hair metal and all that kind of stuff, which were definitely inspired by the glam movement. And uh, I think they are one of the leaders of that scene, definitely. But as far as like the classic glam thing, no, yeah. I mean. So I, I think it was it was either Motley Crue or Skid Row covered Slade's Come On, Feel the Noise and became more famous for it than Slade. Oh, were. no, that's Quiet Riot. That was Quiet Riot. As yeah, I told they, you, I didn't know my 80s. They did too. Because they, well. they on, also man. covered uh, we're Mama, crazy. We're All Crazy Now. Ah. And yeah. I, I think that's such a good fit too, because Kevin Dubrow sounds so much like Naughty from Slade. His voice has a very similar quality, and so basically they they played those songs textbook, but they heavied them up a lot. You know, put a lot more metal spin on it, and I think it, I think it's they're incredibly. The band hated it. They hated <laughs> being made to record those songs, and Kevin Dubrow almost quit the band because he was so adamant that they would not record those songs. But I uh, think they work so incredibly well. So they were record label insistence. Oh, very much so. Or producer, one or the other, yes. Yeah. Very much. So we, we kind of headed into the next territory I wanted to talk about, and that's what I'm calling Is It Glam? So there are bands that often get lumped in with the movement that I think are tangentially related. They might have done an album or two, but I don't think of them as big players. And this is where I'm thinking of Elton John or Queen 
or Sparks. Right. And right? It's, I think it's so interesting that Elton and Freddie were like the glamorous things happening at the time. But you don't. And certainly their lifestyle matched you know, the, the glam aesthetic, you know, with the decadence and the hedonism and all that kind of stuff. So why are they not considered glam rock? Well, I think of, um, particularly with Elton, I think of Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and mm. Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player as being, if not out and out glam records as having elements. Very you go much back so. to what Rob was saying about having those kind of 50s rockabilly yeah. sentiments. You listen to something like Crocodile Rock, yeah, I mean true. that's one hundred percent that. Or Saturday night, Saturday night's all right for fighting. You know, yeah. again, that yeah. feels very glam. Yeah. Um, some people, some people have you know said that Abba's even sort of in that group, but I don't. Mm. Abba? Yeah. There's yeah. been a couple. No. There's been a couple things. Um, on, you know, digging around this week, there's there there's a everybody almost has a different definition of it. Some people that's say, true. you know. That Ava's in there, Japan's in there. Um, definitely, Queen has come up. You know, Poison has come up a lot. Um, obviously, Lou Reed. You know, it. I. You know, I even think of it later when you get to like Suede and Placebo. Um, right. Um, I mean, those right. are one hundred percent inspired by glam. Absolutely. Yeah. But you know, yeah, I. I think with Queen, you look at Queen Two and Sheer Heart Attack. I think those are glam records. Mm -hmm. yeah, some of the Rod Stewart stuff, people are you know say some people say it's glam. I don't see it. Yeah. Um, but he's you know he's got a lot of um, people in his corner. I think a lot of the people that want to put Elton John in there will. I can see why some people put some of the Stones in there. I know particularly after Mick and Keith Richards went and saw T Rex live that that sort of was a huge effect <laughs> on the Stones. But I think the Stones are more aesthetic in, yeah. with the suits and the outfits than it is music. Um, which I think is interesting. And I love the Sparks sort of glam stuff too. I just think it's just yeah. amazing. Really from Kimono My House through to about Big Beat. Mm. Big Beat, um, yeah. And then after that, they they did Introducing Sparks, which is probably the worst thing they've ever recorded, in my opinion, and, and then went on to number one in heaven and reinvented themselves again. But those, those four albums they did... Uh, one yeah. of which was with Tony Visconti. So that fits right mm -hmm. into they even got the glam producer there. Um, right. Yeah. You know, but you know, they're 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 in England at the time, they're absorbing all of it. I think that all these artists, whether or not they're directly, you know, we might be like, what color huh? scratch our heads? They're all in that point in space and time where glam is in some way, shape, or form infusing how they perceive or and or, or make music, you know. Yeah. Um, Elton is Elton's really interesting because it's kind of like you can't get much more glam than Elton, but he's not really. It's kind of strange. Um, Maybe he does too many ballads. Maybe that's what keeps him. I think it's the ballad. Well, I think it's the ballads, but I also think too that it's kind of like he takes the glam fashion and puts it on the Spinal Tap Eleven. You know. Um, True. And you know the other thing too is if if you make too many records, are you you know. Do you fall out of it? Because a lot of the glams, with the exception of like a Lou Reed or a Bowie or an Alice Cooper or something, is these guys had very short careers. You know, um, mm -hmm. the one great thing about the suite is that, like, you know, they had a bunch of really great our suite about they had so many great records, but then that's it. You know, like you you don't have to hunt them all down. Yeah, and I I think, I mean, honestly, glam went out of style. So you look yeah. at the oh, ones yeah. who survived. You know, Roxy when 
a bit easy listening pop music bowie went and did a ton of different things sparks did a ton of different things yeah i mean they all reinvented themselves yeah after yeah. glam basically died whereas you look at yeah. wizard and what the hell have wizard done since glam <laughs> well and even even some of the some of the adjacent stuff like you know iggy and lou reed and even Susie quattro kind of reinvent what they're doing a little bit too right all right, so uh, Rob mentioned Sweet and mentioned uh, their their string of great songs. And that's a segue for me to talk about something that I discovered today. I was, I think the first time I ever came across the names Nikki Chin and Mike Chapman was when I got the first Pat Benatar album in 79 because she they did three songs by those two songwriters which later on I learned were covers of Sweet and two songs by a group that's, I think, sort of like glam adjacent called Smokey. And so when I kind of was looking up today, I was looking, I don't remember which song it was that I realized, oh, this song was written by uh, Chin and Chapman. I had no idea. I think it was one of the Sweet songs. So I kind of looked them up and I discovered that about half of the glam movement in the UK would never have happened if it weren't for them because they wrote all of the big hits by mud. They wrote most of sweets, big hits, uh, their first single funny, funny, which was really kind of not glam yet. It was sort of, uh, early bubblegum kind of Archie's inspired, but all of their glam hits like little Willie ballroom blitz. No, you don't. Uh, love is like oxygen was not written by them. Fox on the Run was not written by them, but all the other ones, Nikki Chin and Mike Chapman wrote. They wrote uh, all of pretty much all of Susie Quattro's hits, including "Stumbling In," the 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 sort of ballady one. Um, they had a hell of a career after Glam. They wrote Tony Basil's "Mickey," "Heart and Soul" by Huey Lewis, "Better Be Good to Me" by Tina Turner, um, a whole bunch of stuff. They produced all the early Blondie albums, "The Knack." So they had their hands all over this scene. And I was just blown away by how much of it they had written. Mm -hmm. Slade now, none. All Slade stuff pretty much comes from Slade. And certainly yeah. Bowie and Bolin all, you know, they're writing their own stuff and Roxy. But all of these sort of like lesser, like the slightly less lower tier bands, like most of that stuff was written by these two guys. And I was just kind of surprised by that. And that's partly why I had that elite tier because they really yeah. did write their own stuff. And in my mind were the pioneers and the leaders of the genre. Yeah. And I got to tell you, so I did, I did this deep dive on some of this stuff this week and listened to a lot of stuff that I hadn't listened to before and discovered a band I'd never heard of before and really, really dove into this whole scene. And you know, I know that I'm a prejudiced listener. I know that I am biased in a certain way, but I just got to tell you, Bowie was operating on a level that none of these other acts were, were doing. Nobody else was doing anything like Ziggy or Aladdin. I mean, yeah. it's so far beyond conceptually. It's so far beyond most of everything else that was happening. There's some T-Rex stuff that was maybe on that level and certainly some Roxy, but you know, I mean, he was just in a different stratosphere than the rest of the stuff that was happening. Well, I, I think what's interesting with Bowie is he goes beyond the basic template. So I already mentioned that it's, right. it's stripping back music and it's bringing in 
basically the confluence with art and fashion. But mm-hmm. he also brings in theater to it. You oh, know, yeah. there's a theme to the album. Um, you know, there's a storyline. It ties into when we were talking about concept albums last week. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that none of the, these other guys really did. So True. I agree with you, but that's kind of what it is. He's adding more than everyone else. And right notching it up a level it's right. awesome and i think that you know because of that that's part of why mm-hmm. he steps away from it sooner than the others do because yeah. he's done i've done everything with this that i can do what's my next step and i think you know i think bowie saw born to boogie and kind of realized that there's a visual filmic element to it and he really sort of got it and realized it's not a throwaway element to it it's a key visual concept of it is the visual presentation and i think mm-hmm. that's important Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of visuals, uh, there's this other cat that I want to mention that I really didn't know a whole lot about. I knew the name and I knew, you know, a little bit, but I didn't really know a whole lot. And that is this this guy called Joe Bryath, who is sort of like uh, an American Midwest kid who grew up. He played piano. He was a, a, a piano prodigy, picked up organ as well. He studied under Eugene Ormandy, who was a, a legendary symphonic conductor. He wrote his first symphony when he was in high school and he became sort of this glam figure that he was aiming at being bigger than Bowie and he never made it. Like he did a couple of albums and they, they were flops essentially. And he just disappeared. And it's so interesting to go back and look at this guy because um, visually and even in his sound, he's he's got so much of the Bowie aesthetic, like the way he dresses in costume, the way that he presents himself on stage. He's got an awful lot of uh, Bowie in some of his vocals. He's got a song called Rock of Ages, which is so incredibly Elton John. It's like not a ripoff, but it's definitely uh, right in the same lane as Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting. And I mean, I'm I'm fascinated by this guy. I mean, do you think that a part of it was that he might have been just a bit too similar to Bowie in what I he think was trying it, to do? Well, I think, you know, he kind of came up in the American Midwest and he was just too flamboyant. He was mm. openly gay. He basically billed himself as um, how did he describe it? The The first fairy of rock and roll. So he <laughs> he was very out front with his sexuality. And I just don't think that that was going to work in America at that time. Not that it's specifically related, but wasn't he also one of the first kind of celebrities to pass away from AIDS? He did. Yes, that's yeah. true. That's very sad. Yeah, um, exactly. So I mean, great, great records. You know, it, it almost reminds me of some of uh, Klaus Nomi as well. So I'm not so familiar with him, so I'll ha- I'll definitely check him out in the next week or so. Yeah, um, I wasn't that familiar either. So I'm, I, it's another discovery that I've made that I'm, I'm really glad that I've kind of delved into. Yeah. Now, there's one act I have been avoiding talking about, but I think we have to in a glam discussion, because there's one artist who I think really pursued what I could only describe as ultra glam and... Sadly, that person has turned out to be an absolutely terrible human being. And that is Gary Glitter, who (laughs) I think truly, truly embraced the genre and put out some songs that I used to love listening to. Um, But going back a few weeks to when we talked about 
divorcing the art from the artist knowing yeah. who he is now yeah I, I again those songs kind of disgust me but what he was putting out at the time was undeniably a huge huge influence on the development of the genre mm-hmm. um you know songs like um leader of the gang and um what was the one that became doctor in the tardis uh leader of the gang that no it was no. A, oh, rock and roll it was yeah, rock, and, rock roll. and roll part two yeah there's a there's a, uh, yeah. a mix of it where it's leader of the gang yeah uh so, glitters on it with the with the klf yeah, yeah. so uh, you know undoubtedly a huge huge figure but wow right not, i mean yeah and we don't need to go into his his crimes because they're really disgusting yeah but i mean yeah yeah that's definitely a low point of the glam movement so let's move on to the legacy of glam because we we've already semi touched on this but i know we wanted to talk a little bit about rocky horror a little bit about punk rob you've already mentioned suede and placebo uh we've mentioned tangentially 80s hair metal so obviously this is a genre that really spoke to a lot of people and keeps coming you know various bands keep coming back to it time and time again so what are kind of your favorite things that have a very very clear influence from glam uh some of the primal scream records uh god um uh i will say the the 88 film or 98 film velvet goldmine yeah i was uh, gonna say that too yeah. i mean so it's a totally weird segue but i would say prince in, yeah, in many ways in many ways there's a flamboyance to him that fits in with with glam and a lot of the dress style and mm-hmm. yeah so on um because i think of i think of glam as sort of this whole thing lady gaga definitely well yeah that's what i was gonna say yeah um <laughs> sorry you um, stole it <laughs> rock, rock, you know rocky horror is the biggest one um because yeah. it's just it's all it's all over that you know sort of so to speak and then you know i would think even things like um what's the what's the stupid uh phoebe seymour musical um oh little shop of horrors little, little shop of horrors <laughs> um you know I, I this sounds crazy but when i watch the sid and marty cross specials on tv oh God. <laughs> I, that stuff is glam as hell um you know but it's of the time so to speak yeah right yeah i tend to think of just sort of like you sort of see in the in, in the mid-70s in, in america you start to see sort of a lot of like glam culture tinge kind of stuff going through you know um and then you see it through today you see placebo you see some of it in prince you see some of janelle monet um suede how do we mm-hmm. not mention suede yet um, yeah and particularly yeah. those first three suede albums yeah i mean i, I think dogman star is probably the pinnacle yeah. of glam i mean the whole thing sounds like it was recorded in an opium den it's glorious <laughs> <Yeah>. um <laughs> but yeah i, I think Rob, you mentioned things of the time, and so not so much the legacy, but you know what, what well, I think of as part of the movement. Well, I, mean, is I would the part have, we are of I would, Yeah, I, but I also would think too of you know, even though it's part of the of that time, it's still a legacy because we're still thinking about it now. Yeah, a lot of it is just there's elements of it, you know. Especially one of the things I thought about is like how much of music I listened to in the '80s was influenced by glam. You know, like Adam and the Ants and even, mm-hmm. you know, Flock of Seagulls and things like that, Doctor and the Medics and things like that. Right. And even now I'm thinking like 
when I think about this, a lot of a lot of the bands and the artists that I listened to in the eighties, those are all people that growing up owned glam records. Yeah. Right. And now it's a lot of these kids growing up, their dads or other people who were important to them in their musical development listen to glam records. So it's for me, it's interesting how it's like this keep it's this like symbiotic morphing style of music that just keeps going. You know, um, and there's elements of it everywhere. I mean, it's a lot of it's visual and it's it's a very adaptable and pliable medium in terms of like the rhythm, the rhythms of it, the musical stuff of it may be maybe different. But like a lot of the aesthetic, the looks and the attitude of it is is very good. I think it's very much a reactionary genre. And any time that there's a period where people want to react against some convention that's going on in the world, some aspect of glam culture will come out through that. Yeah. I mean, you look at the mid 2000s, you know, when we had, you know, post 9-11 and kind of reactionary to mm. Western aggression, you know, you saw the, the glam thing come out again with the darkness. I was yeah, just right. going to mention them. I'm so glad yeah. you brought them up. Yeah, very much a throwback to that whole that whole era. Yeah. Also, another um, terrible human being, Marilyn Manson, but also yep. this, this one off band called Space Hog. Uh, in the 90s was very much kind of a throwback to, to them as well. Jesus, I forgot all about that. Sorry. I would never have remembered Space Hog. Also, also Chainsaw, I was listening to the Chainsaw Kittens record the other day, and I'm like, oh, yeah, they are glam, kind of, too. So, they sure, Chainsaw whatever. Kittens? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see as we move into the 2020s how the, the torch gets passed and picked up again mm -hmm. by newer bands. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just keeps going. And ev to your point, Rob, everyone has a relative who's been into glam and has passed those records down. Um, and I so. think the cornerstone records that you talked about, and even some of those secondary ones, have now gained such a status. Oh, yeah. You know, and especially now with so many people like that, the Power Station cover of Bang a Gone is like everywhere. And there's, there's a couple of people I know that that's their introduction to glam. It's like through this nostalgia yeah. radio thing. And they're sure. like, and then once they get that T-Rex record, man, you're hooked, right? Coming um, in 2025, Youngblood covers Tiger Feet. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Well, we'll see if Maybe that not. holds up. <laughs> Holy cow. And along with that, another 35 covers of Children of the Revolution. <laughs> yeah, there'll be there'll be some. There'll be more. It will never end. Children of the Revolution will live on. There's one every two or three years. It's not gonna it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Don't cover that. Cover Song for Europe by Roxy Music or something. Do something unexpected. Yeah. I don't know. Hell. If I were in a heavy band, I would definitely do Children of the Revolution. I would do so a so good. I would do a heavy as fuck version of this town ain't big enough for the both of us. Okay. That could be fun. I like that. All right. So we've meandered all through the topic <laughs> of glam rock. I think we all agree that it has a lasting legacy. So with that, we will wrap up. Rob, where can we hear you? You can hear me on KDHX, uh, Wednesday nights from 7 to 9 Central Time or streaming at KDHX.org. And if you go to bed early or go to bed late, you're in luck because it streams archived. It's, it's archived streamed, rather, at KDHX.org. 
Also, uh, the Need Coffee podcast, Weekend Justice, and on needcoffee.com. And we can read you on needcoffee.com as well, right? Yes. Since I said here, <laughs> I figured I should at least clarify. Right. Alan, I will try and use uh, slightly more um, broad language on this. Where can we find you? <laughs> um, you can find my little publishing company, Cosmic Press, at uh, the website, at Facebook, at Twitter. Um, we, I've got a number of Doctor Who books out, uh, a couple of books by other authors. Also, I've got a, another podcast called Earth Station Trek, which is all about Star Trek. And right now we are busy as little beavers reviewing two new Star Trek episodes every week. So much Trek right now. And outside of this podcast, you can find me on the Watchers in the Fourth Dimension podcast discussing all of Doctor Who from 1963 until now. Uh, we are currently in the aforementioned Pertwee era. We're coming to an end of the glam era of the show. And we can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, et cetera, et cetera, wherever you like to find your podcast, which is also where you can find Earth Station Trek. So please do yeah. check out both shows. That's right. That's right. Thanks oh, for mentioning it, that because I didn't. <laughs> and if you're listening to this on YouTube, you can also find this on all of those podcasting platforms, too. That's what I was going to say. We're so good <laughs> at promotion. <laughs> I try. So we'll be back next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening in again. And uh, we'll see you around.